0: laudator jesus christus praise be jesus christ this is matt gaspers managing editor of catholic family news and i'm joined as always by my friend and colleague dr brian mccall who is the editor in chief of cfn hello brian it's good to see you again i hope you've had a good week since our last show
1: yes it's been a good week um, viewers may have seen I had a great conversation with monica smith from australia the other night it was delightful talking to her so if you haven't seen that check that out on our, our uh, YouTube and Rumble channels. It was a, We had a great conversation.
0: Absolutely, I highly recommend it. She uh, addressed, was interviewed during the Catholic Identity Conference by Michael Matt and has a very powerful testimony. So if you haven't heard it yet, definitely check out uh, Brian's interview of her as well. But well, we got a great show for you today, lots to unpack uh, in the civil and ecclesiastical spheres. Our stories this week include First off, the official opening of the two-year Synod on Synodality, which uh, goes from October of this year, 2021, through October of 2023. And some are dubbing this event as Vatican III, obviously not in a literal sense, it's not an ecumenical council, but in a figurative or an exaggerated sense to emphasize that it's a continuation, really, of some of the novelties of Vatican II, we'll get into that uh, in, in the show today. We're also going to cover as many viewers and listeners have probably seen in the news, uh, US Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi's visit to Rome, including her personal audience with Pope Francis. Uh, we also have a couple of updates related to Traditionis Custodis, the Pope's document, severely restricting access to the traditional Latin mass, and finally we're going to end on some good news involving legal victories against what i've called the covidian tyranny or so-called jab mandates so we've got lots to cover today before we do as always we will uh, take a look at the church's liturgical calendar and spend a few moments pondering the things that are above as saint paul says grounding ourselves in the spiritual riches of holy mother church (coughs) So we are coming to you today live on Thursday, October 14th, the year of our Lord, 2021. And it is the feast of St. Callixtus I on the traditional Roman calendar. He was a pope as well as a martyr, uh, died in the year of our Lord, 223. So one of the early popes prior to the uh, accession of Uh, Constantine and the Edict of Milan and all of that, so lots of persecution going on. Just looking at my hand missile, the note for his feast says uh, it was St. Calixtus I who instituted the Ember Day fasts and provided for the honorable internment of the martyrs. He himself suffered martyrdom under Alexander Severus in AD 223. So we ask for Pope St. Calixtus I to pray for us and to pray especially for Pope Francis. Other saints and feasts celebrated since our last show include, uh, got a lot of great ones, St. Bridget of Sweden on October 8th, St. John Leonardi on October 9th, the Motherhood of the Blessed Virgin Mary on October 11th, and St. Edward the Confessor on October 13th, so some, some great feast days. Brian, did you have anything you wanted to say about any of those saints or the, the Feast of the Motherhood of Our Lady?
1: Yes, yeah, St. Bridget is, is always interesting because you know Bridget's a very common name, very popular saint in Ireland, and I remember when I found out that she was a Swedish saint. I actually thought she was Irish. She was Swedish. She was a, a royal yes. of Sweden. But then I found out why the Irish love her, because she turned water into beer.
0: Ah, so that's why <laughs> that's why
1: she's popular in Ireland. But uh no a great saint and uh St. Edward the Confessor again he was so holy that he was be called Edward the Confessor when he was still alive. Wow. Uh, so he that's how holy he he was. I've actually been able to see his tomb uh in Westminster Cathedral uh, yes. which has been buried in since uh, the 11th century. So as you said, some really, really good saints.
0: And do I recall correctly his chair? They have St. Edward's chair, don't they still in one of the big yes. cathedrals? Yes.
1: So the throne that the monarch of England to this day is still coronated upon is St. Edward's throne. Oh, uh, wow. It's the same, you know, chair that he used.
0: So we hope and pray that uh, someday in the future, perhaps in the not-too-distant future, a Catholic yes. monarch will once again sit upon that throne. All right. So before we get into our stories today, we do have a couple of major anniversaries that I wanted to mention. Uh, one very good, the other not so good. <laughs> we'll do the good one first. So since our last show, actually just yesterday, October 13th, was the 104th anniversary of the miracle of the sun at Fatima. And as many viewers and listeners probably know, it's the, it was the, during the 6th and final apparition of our lady of fatima who appeared each month from may to october 1917 and she announced actually 3 months in advance that she would work a public miracle so that those who those would see who would see it would believe that she was really appearing and for you know so at around noon on october 13th for a period of about you know, 10 to 12 minutes the sun you people were able, eyewitnesses, thousands of them testify. There was about a crowd of 70,000 people in this big open field. They could all look at the sun directly without any damage to their eyes. And the sun also kind of, you know, they called it the dance of the sun. It danced around in the sky kind of erratically and emitted all the colors of the rainbow, which lit up the people's clothes. And perhaps most spectacularly at the end of this miracle, You know it had been raining the whole uh, night and in the morning uh, previous to the miracle so the ground of this huge field was just muddy you know deep mud up to your ankles and by the end of this miracle when the sun you know the contemporary accounts that describe it as the sun detaching from the firmament and plummeting toward the earth and people were terrified thinking it was the end of the world but then the sun went back to its normal place And people realized that their clothes were dry. They were all clean. Um, So it was truly spectacular. I mean, basically the most spectacular miracle since the resurrection of our Lord. Mm.
1: Well, and the second anniversary has a connection uh, because many people, myself included, believe that the third secret of Fatima, the the third message that Sister Lucy wrote down, which has not been fully revealed to the public yet, has something to do with with the Second Vatican Council that there is some warning about what was going to happen uh, because we know that uh, our uh, sister Lucy when asked when it should be released said 1960 and she said they asked her why and she said because it would be more obvious than what it, what it meant yes uh, so that is our other anniversary this week uh, October 11th was the date in 1962 that the Second Vatican Council uh, officially convened
0: yes and I. I have just a few brief quotes I want to read, kind of a lead into our first story about the opening of the Synod, because I think it really draws some connections between the so-called spirit of the Council, You know, which John XXIII, the Pope who opened the Council, really set the tone in his opening address on October 11, 1962. The name of the address is Gaudet Mater Ecclesia, or Mother Church Rejoices. So here are a few things he said during that historic address. First of all, quote, in the daily exercise of our pastoral office, he's talking about himself, we sometimes have to listen much to our regret to voices of persons who though burning with zeal are not endowed with too much sense of discretion or measure. In these modern times, they can see nothing but prevarication and ruin they say that our era, in comparison with past eras, is getting worse, and they behave as though they had learned nothing from history. Well, pause there. You know, one of the people who uh, was of that mind was actually his predecessor, Pius the Twelfth, who warned in uh, I think it was an encyclical or apostolic letter that things were basically as worse than before the flood. So there, there were some very respectable, trustworthy sources saying those things, not just you know weird cranks. So John the 23rd goes on to say, we feel we must disagree with these prophets of gloom who are always forecasting disaster as though the end of the world were at hand, quote. Now, some people believe that he may even have had in mind the seers of Fatima because their message was not one of, you know, sunshine and rainbows and everything's wonderful. The modern world is great. Uh, very, very much the opposite of that. So, the next quote I think sounds very much like things we hear during the present pontificate. We'll see if you agree with me. Quote In the present order of things, divine providence is leading us to a new order of human relations. New order, which by men's own efforts and even beyond their very expectations are directed toward the fulfillment of God's superior and inscrutable designs. And everything, even human differences, leads to the greater good of the church. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like something that Pope Francis could have easily said. This very cheery, you know, kind of what I would say naive optimism and really downplaying the, the effects of original sin. I mean, saying that divine providence is leading us to a new order of human relations by men's own efforts that's not, uh, that certainly doesn't square with what the church traditionally teaches about fallen human nature. And then lastly, I want to read this, this quote. He says, the church has always opposed these errors, referring to the certain opinions of men. Frequently, she has condemned, women, condemned them with the greatest severity. Nowadays, however, the spouse of Christ, referring to the church, refers to make use of the medicine of mercy rather than that of severity. And those are very significant words in light of the present pontificate because Pope Francis has actually quoted these words of John the 23rd on occasion. For example, in his bull of indiction of the extraordinary Jubilee of mercy, remember that we had that year from December of 2015 through November of 2016, this year of mercy, and this bull of indiction was issued roughly one year prior to a Moorish Letitia. So it shows a, clearly a connection between Francis sees himself as in very much in continuity with John the 23rd, Paul the 6th, John Paul the 2nd, even Benedict the 16th in some ways. So that really leads us into our first story.
1: Yes, so we're going to see this great connection between Vatican II and this synod. Uh, thank you, by the way, L.A. And H., thanks for saying this is your favorite show of the week. We're honored that it's your favorite show. So, Matt's going to introduce our first story, which is going to be a couple-year running story.
0: Yes, and to introduce this story, we have a, an image that's been published by the Vatican, the Synod of Bishops, that really maps out the, what they call the stages of the synodal journey. Brian's going to bring that up on the screen for us so we can have a look at it.
1: Yep, just uh, one second. Here it is.
0: All oh, right. So there it is in all its glory. This
1: looks like a corporate um, mission, you know, strategic plan document is what it reminds me Exactly.
0: Of. So as you can see on here, um, this document shows... You know, we're so in September of 2021. Last month, they issued the preparatory document and the *Vademecum*, the the handbook that goes with it, like the practical how-to manual for those who are unfortunate enough as to have to implement this thing in their respective territory. Um, now, over this past weekend, we had the official opening of the synod in Rome. That's where you see. So it says local churches and other. Uh, ecclesial bodies. So on, on October 9th and 10th, Saturday, Sunday, Pope Francis opened, officially convened the synodal journey or synodal process, which begins with phase one, which is the diocesan phase. That's what we're in now. And this will officially open in dioceses throughout the world this coming Sunday, October 17th. So it'll be interesting if you get the diocesan, your local diocesan newspaper, it'll be interesting to see if there's mention of it in there. Hasn't been getting a whole lot of attention, as as we mentioned recently, Austin Ivory was lamenting that fact. <laughs> um, so then, as you can see, it just goes through, you know, the various phases. We have, uh, uh, it's, they're even dragging in the, the Eastern churches into this process, and all the Episcopal conferences, Then we're going to have a an instrumentum laboris number 1 and then later on and you know a couple a couple years from now in June 2023 an instrumentum laboris 2.0 and then finally the actual synod itself is is not taking place until October of 2023 in Rome so this is going to be quite a journey to say Well
1: that. And notice in the one box, you know, we've been saying this all along, that the final documents are written before the bishops get there, but they're actually being upfront about that. Look at the third box on the right, seven final documents from the assemblies, right? Right. Even before the bishops get there, they're calling them final documents. Again, <laughs> This is what we said was behind the scenes happening. Now they're actually getting kind of overt about it.
0: Right. And they, and it's also interesting to note that they assure us that this is not a democratic process, but it actually reminds me, you know, I don't. I've participated in the local um, precinct caucuses for the, the, you know, the civil political process and you submit resolutions that you want to have on the official party platform. And some, there's a resolutions committee that has to compile all those and kind of condense them down into general, you know, combined similar resolutions and stuff. That's kind of what this seems like. You're just gathering everybody's opinion and kind of, synthesizing it together and then it's like from the grassroots from the bottom up, which Pope Francis actually uses that phrase mm. uh, as we will
1: see. So here's another image for us. Yes. <laughs> this, this is their official crayon drawing. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> yes, they're all they're all on a journey somewhere. We don't know where exactly, but they're all they're all together. They're under I don't know what this is supposed to re- to represent. Uh, It's very, very odd. I refer to it on Twitter as the Sesame Street-esque logo. (laughs) Brought to you by the letter E for embarrassing, is what I said on Twitter. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to briefly go over some of the Pope's remarks, as well as an interview that uh, Edward Penton conducted with the General Secretary of the Synod of Bishops and kind of get into the nitty-gritty of all this. So... On Saturday, October 9th, uh, the Pope addressed, or made an address during what's called a moment of reflection. This was the day before the, the Synod officially opened. And he said, the Synod, while offering a great opportunity for a pastoral conversion in terms of mission and ecumenism, is not exempt from certain risks. I will mention three of these. So these are the three risks, the three primary risks that Francis thinks are involved with this synod. Number one, formalism. He says the synod could be reduced to an extraordinary event, but only externally. We need content, means, and structures that can facilitate dialogue and interaction within the people of God, especially between priests and laity. The second danger, according to him, is intellectualism. I I don't think we're in in much danger of this being overly intellectual, (laughs) but nevertheless... Especially
1: given that little drawing. That's what's so intellectual.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He says, quote, the synod could turn into a kind of study group. I mean, I I thought that was kind of what the purpose of this was, to gather and study (laughs) and get, you know. Uh, He says, the usual people saying the usual things without great depth or spiritual insight. I mean, that's kind of an indictment of the whole of these synods in general. (laughs) The usual people saying the usual things without great depth or spiritual insight. That kind of sums up the last several synods. And then finally, number three, complacency. The attitude, he says, uh, we have always done it this way. And he's quoting himself, Evangelii Gaudium, number 33. And it is better not to change. Uh, And he goes on to say, later on in this address during the moment of reflection, quote, the Holy Spirit guides us where God wants us to be, not to where our own ideas and personal tastes would lead us. Father Congar, and he's quote, this is Father Ave Congar, progressive uh, theological expert at Vatican II, Pope Francis quotes him as saying, there is no need to create another church, but to create a different church. And Francis goes on to explain, for a, quote, different church, a church open to the newness that God wants to suggest, uh, let us with great fervor and frequency invoke the Holy Spirit and humbly listen to him. So I was actually asked uh, early this week by LifeSite News to make some comments on these opening remarks of Pope Francis Uh, which I did in the, the article, you can find my quotes is entitled, A Different Church, Pope Calls for Synod on Synodality to Usher in Change, which was published on Monday of this week. And basically, I just say, you know, making some connections between the Synod and the Council. So I said, between the Pope's own comments on the subject and the official documents issued by the Vatican, The Synod on Synodality is clearly intended to be an extension of the Second Vatican Council. One might even dub it Vatican III. So again, I'm not literally saying, obviously, I know the difference between an ecumenical council and a synod. um, But I'm using it in a figurative sense that it's to further the novelties proposed at Vatican II. So I explain the preparatory document, for example, directly connects the synodal journey now beginning with, quote, the church's renewal proposed by the Second Vatican Council. The same document lists, quote, ten thematic nuclei, uh, which essentially reiterate several novel themes addressed at the council, including ecumenism, interreligious dialogue, the importance of the laity and so forth. So it's really kind of regurgitating a lot of those novelties that we see in the council documents. Uh, so now we're going to move on to uh, an interesting interview that was conducted by Edward Penton with the Secretary General of of the Synod of Bishops, kind of the the stage manager, you could say. He he replaced recently um, Lorenzo Baldessari, who can who was the stage manager for the last several synods under Francis. So Edward Penton asked. Uh, Cardinal Gretsch, what is the concrete and long-term goal of this synod and synodality, both at a local and universal level? How will it ultimately help the faithful in terms of evangelization and their own personal salvation? First of all, I just want to give a huge kudos to Edward Penton for asking such an articulate and relevant question. Uh, here is the the Cardinal's response. Many signs point to the realization that the mature fruit of the church's reception of Vatican II is a synodal church. So here we have the Secretary General of the Synod of Bishops directly connecting the synodality to Vatican II. Clear connection. He goes on, along the road of the church's reception of Vatican II, we are discerning the Spirit's movement to appreciate and value each of the various ecclesial subjects at various levels. I have no idea what that actually means.
1: Yeah. And with all these, I'd always ask, uh, uh, which spirit is that you're observing? (laughs) Exactly. Uh,
0: Another question was asked, what does it mean to be the church of the third millennium? Pope Francis uses that phrase occasionally, the church of the third millennium. Is it about adjusting the church to the spirit of the times? or rather having the world adjust to the wisdom of the church's teaching. The cardinal replied, the church of the third millennium cannot be the repetition of the church of the second millennium. What? (laughs) And he goes on to say, just as the church of the second millennium could not be the repetition of the church of the first millennium.
1: Hmm.
0: Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. Those are, really scandalous statements i mean the church is one throughout time and space throughout history obviously there are developments over time but i mean it's just unbelievable to make such a statement also well, in,
1: it is i mean and frankly to answer kongar to become a different church is to become another church
0: right exactly I mean, yes and the last one i wanted to point out here uh well as he says here, the goal of the church is not to adjust itself to the spirit of times, but to listen to this spirit, meaning listen to the spirit of the times, to discern within what the spirit, I assume he's referring to the Holy Ghost, but he says the Holy Spirit might be communicating to the Christian community. So we're supposed to listen to the spirit of the times, and somehow within that, we will hear the Holy Ghost speaking to us. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. It's nonsensical. Um, and lastly, our, um, Edward Penton asked him, what do you say to those who suggest this upcoming synod is a way to hold a third Vatican council, but without announcing it as such? Now, the Cardinal does say, quote, this statement is not rooted in reality, the upcoming synod is important, but there is an essential difference between a council and a synod. A council is a council. A synod is a synod. That's that's <laughs> all. Obviously, we know that. But I want to refer here very quickly to an important article that uh, author Julia Maloney wrote for One Peter Five last month, and, and it's called "The Weapon of the Saint Gallen Mafia is Synodality." As viewers and listeners may recall, Brian uh, did a video interview with uh, Ms. Maloney. I think that was either late last year. Yeah, it was late last year about yes. the book she was working on. And I've just uh, interviewed her in written form now that she's completed her book and it's due out later this month. It's called The St. Gallen Mafia. So interesting, you know, the, and the central figure of that mafia, the leader of it for years, was Cardinal Carlo uh, Martini. And in this article that Julia wrote, she says, quote, at the mafia's January 1999 meeting, according to the authorized biography of member Godfrey Daniels, Martini shared the latest permutation of his dream, the dream that he talked about back in the 80s. He said he wanted a new council, a new council. It was the deepest dream of a man who would one day tell Aldo Maria Valle, a famous Vatican journalist, that the time of Vatican II had been the greatest period of his life. Later that year, 1999, in October of that year, at a synod on Europe, Martini stood up and shared a version of this dream. Invoking Vatican II's memory, he spoke of a future, quote, collegial and authoritative consultation among all the bishops, end quote. Sounds like a synod. Then... Uh, Julia goes on, he listed the, quote, key issues to address uh, collegiality, from sexuality to the deficit of ordained ministers, et cetera, et cetera. So even though he didn't use the term new council when he addressed the 1999 synod gathering, it's clear that they've found that it's more effective to use these synods as basically de facto continuations of Vatican II. So interesting
1: to note. Well, and don't worry, Matt, we've had a synod spiting, a sighting. We have had a sighting, a a synod. One of our uh, viewers just wrote in and says her archdiocese is having their own synod opening. So uh, I don't know what diocese uh, you're from, but we know where to avoid. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So hopefully, hopefully it is not appearing in a diocese near you, but uh, uh, I think we are going to see more of this. Well, for our next story, we're going to stay uh, in Rome. And I've titled this story, The Deep Church is Going to Embrace the Deep State. And uh, that's exactly what happened here. A uh, Pope Francis who heads up the Deep Church, as Archbishop Vigano has said, the Deep Church is a bureau of the deep state. Uh, He received in private audience uh, this week, uh, Speaker of the House, the wayward Catholic Nancy Pelosi. Um, and there's some uh, video clip of her coming in. I'm not going to play all of it, but we're going to just play a little bit. And just want you to uh, take a look at it. You'll notice she's not wearing a mantilla, which is, according to diplomatic custom, uh, uh, required for when a woman meets the Pope. Even yes. the Jewish uh, daughter of, Pre- of President Trump wore a mantilla when meeting the Pope. Um, been a lot of comment on the internet about that handshake. Many people have shown it is, whether coincidentally or not, a Freemasonic handshake of an apprentice. Uh, I don't know if that was intended, but it, it was an odd handshake. Uh, pretty happy here. Then they exchanged some gifts, some, and, uh, and uh, you can just see they're just very sort of happy together.
0: Right. Doesn't look so, like he was doing any admonishing.
1: No, again, uh, they did go into a private meeting, but uh, did not appear to be any private uh, admonishing of her about her. And again, this is a woman who has introduced and voted for legislation for partial birth abortion. uh, Wants to kill children as they are in the process of being born. Uh, And here she is meeting the Pope, who is supposed to be the guardian of such things, and he's just happy to have a nice little exchange of gifts. Well, I thought it would be interesting to uh, compare that to when uh, Pope Francis received in audience President Donald Trump. Uh, and again, you'll notice that uh, he, uh, those with him and some of that have mantillas, again, even those, none of these people are Catholic, but they are honoring the Catholic uh, custom. So you saw sort of how um, that how close they were Pelosi and uh, just sort of how happy they looked and they kept holding the handshake forever. Yeah, you know, that was really awkward. <laughs> Trump looks pretty happy. Uh, Pope looks very awkward there, if you can tell. Uh, and then I will also show you uh, because at the end of the audience um, he. Uh, then posed for a group picture with the Trumps, uh, and again, we're still going to show that one, because they say a picture uh, speaks a thousand words, and I think the contrast uh, of these speak a, a thousand words. There yes. he is, <laughs> the happy, joyful pope.
0: See again, the visible separation between them.
1: <laughs> exactly. And remember that we saw. You know, he grabs Pelosi. He won't let her go. He's like clinging to her arm. He he pulls her around, and here the visible visible separation again. Trump a happy guy don't mean the Pope uh, again. Both. Uh, you know, Melania was born Catholic. She sadly apostatized, become kind of an Anglican. Uh, so she's not a Catholic. His daughter's Jewish, but they at least have the diplomatic sense that usually diplomats used to have that you honor whatever the diplomatic customs are of the country's leader you are meeting. Right? That's why, you know, when people go to Saudi Arabia, world leaders, they, you know, they dress in a way that will not be offensive to the people there. Uh, but, you know, Nancy Pelosi, who's even a Catholic, she doesn't, uh, doesn't care. So Pelosi, why was she there? Why was she having this meeting? Well, she was going to give the keynote address to a, a meeting of world leaders, uh, who is kind of like the Senate, <laughs> yeah. who are getting ready for another meeting. So this was their pre-meeting kickoff uh, for a climate meeting in Glasgow that is going to be taking place. And this was the sort of pep rally for the Glasgow summit. And these cl- these cl- uh, climate summits bring nothing but disaster. The one in Mexico, the one in Paris that was horrible, that was just a Chinese takeaway. I mean, they just, they got away with, we can pollute the world and do nothing, but America has got to pay a ton of money for all of its carbon emission. Uh, you know, Fortunately, Donald Trump got us out of it, but we're back in it. It was one of the first things Joe Biden did. These are terrible things. Uh, and Pelosi's coming to um, uh, attend this. So she issued a statement after she met the Pope when she was there. But what a, sp- a spiritual, personal, and official honor to have an audience with His Holiness Pope Francis this morning. Uh, and then what does she go on about? His Holiness's encyclical, Laudato Si, is a powerful challenge to the global community to act decisively on the climate crisis with special attention to the most vulnerable communities, who obviously don't include the most vulnerable of the unborn, according to this woman. Right? right? The most vulnerable communities don't include those who are being murdered in their mother's womb and to whom she is facilitating.
0: She even has the audacity to say his holiness commands our attention to honor the gospel of Matthew by serving quote the least, least. of these.
1: <laughs> exactly. But not not the unborn. Of course right. not. Well, no surprise her her statements and she gave a typical liberal drivel speech to these people. Uh, but the Pope Francis also sent an address to all of these climate change fanatics who met in the Pope Paul VI hideous audience hall yes. <laughs> on September on October 9th. Um, and he gave them uh, his greetings. Uh, and uh, he says uh, he referred back to um, you know a prior meeting uh, that they had. Uh, to get ready for this, and he says, At our meeting, we affirmed in a spirit of fraternity an impressive convergence of all our different voices on two points. First, our sorrow at the grave harm inflicted on the human family and its common home. And second, the urgent need for a change of direction in order to move decisively and firmly away from the throwaway culture prevalent in our society toward a culture of care. And of course, by this I mean the sin of abortion. Nope, sorry, that wasn't there. I just added that. Fake news. No, he doesn't mention anything. So here again, the great challenges of our time, the great throwaway culture, but not once does he mention in this the great throwaway culture of abortion. Meanwhile, while he's speaking to people who their whole agenda is abortion, the climate change agenda is essentially all about, for them, contraception and abortion. We have problems with the climate because we have too many people. Too many people are having babies. We need to get rid of the babies. And again, here he is, the vicar of Christ, the main leader of this group. He speaks to these group, and does he say to them, as Pope St. Pius X would, call them to conversion? No, not at all. He just embraces them, shares gifts, big bear hug handshake, and that's and that's all. Uh so again this is just another confirmation that he is just acting this is what he wants. We all agree. These are all our are we're all in agreement he wants to be part of the new world order. He wants to great be part of the great reset. Give me a seat at the table. Let me be. I'll be good. I'll be one of your people. Let me be the the you know spiritual leader of the One World Church, and that's what he has set out to be.
0: I think Archbishop Vigano summed it up perfectly, and I, I quoted this in my statement that I gave to LifeSite News. Um, His Excellency's first major intervention regarding the Second Vatican Council, the one published or dated rather June 9th, 2020, he says that quote. That from Vatican II onwards, a parallel church was built, superimposed over and diametrically opposed to the true Church of Christ. This parallel church progressively obscured the divine institution founded by our Lord in order to replace it with a spurious entity corresponding to the desired universal religion that was first theorized by masonry." End quote.
1: Well, the story goes on. After her love fest with Pope Francis, her fraternal meeting, uh, Pelosi and her husband decided to go to Mass. And like every good Novus Ordo Catholic, she didn't go on Sunday. She went Saturday night, since that's the new norm. Uh, so she showed up at St. Patrick's Church, which is a church in Rome for Americans. It's sort of dedicated. And that happens a lot. There are seminaries and churches in Rome that were kind of uh, pilgrimage houses for people from different countries right. uh, so she showed up there was apparently a big commotion and she left I heard reports that they were heckling her that the Catholics there were like basically heckling her for being a the apostate Catholic that she is right. uh, and but here's what the uh, Novus Ordo uh,
0: the rector of the church
1: rector of the church uh, he got up and spoke about it uh, and we'll play a little video of what he what he said.
0: We might have to bump up the sound if we can. I don't know. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not able to make it out. But I'll definitely uh, include a, a link in the show notes. Yeah. But well, basically, the summary of what he said is that um he explained there was a commotion and a quote-unquote security issue which was probably the heckling that that there were allegedly reports of and he said quote speaker pelosi and her husband had to leave now what's even more astounding is that he actually said you know he was very sad about this because she was scheduled to do the second reading at mass (laughs) unbelievable
1: I mean, talk about a sacrilege! You know, the person who promotes killing children when they're halfway born, she's going to get up and proclaim the word of God in a church with the blessing of this this priest. Uh, unbelievable! I mean, this is how this is how low the Novus Ordo Church uh, has sunk. And so right, he's he's not just saying you know, this is really kind of a sacrilege that we were going to do this. He's sorry. He's regretting she's not there. He clearly was going to give her Holy Communion. And then he goes on to say, and I, I haven't seen uh, actual his sermon, the clips all that included, that he thinks she would have loved his sermon. So, I don't know. Maybe the ir- <laughs>
0: if I could comment a little bit yeah. further, the irony gets even more astounding. Yes. as If you see the reading that she was going to proclaim, this was for the you know, this whatever Sunday in ordinary time for the the new lectionary. It's from the fourth chapter of St. Paul's epistle to the Hebrews, and this is what it says. Indeed, the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating even between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to discern reflections and thoughts of the heart. No creature is concealed from him, meaning the incarnate word, Jesus Christ our Lord, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must render an account. Do you hear that, Nancy Pelosi? You will render an account to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wow!
1: Wow! Yeah. Uh, again, it's just it. It's I'm speechless. <laughs> yes. So uh, she met. Get ready for the climate nanny that's going to go on in parallel with the, the synod. Nothing good is likely to come out of it. Certainly not going to condemn abortion, that's for sure. Uh, and it just shows you know how corrupt the deep church has become. Again, we give credit to, to Archbishop Cordelione, who's written a bit about that these politicians should be denied communion. But I'd say to Archbishop Cordelione, so when are you going to do it? When are you going to issue a decree in your diocese telling every priest in San Francisco that they're not allowed to give her communion. And I think that's the other,
0: and one other facet worth mentioning in this story is I understand it, Archbishop Cordiglione currently has some sort of a prayer, I think a rosary campaign going on specifically for Nancy Pelosi that she would would repent and be converted. Now, really, as Brian emphasized, he should be issuing a decree of excommunication, Um, but you know what kind of message does this send to archbishop cordiglione when pope francis is you know being buddy buddy with nancy obviously the the messaging is that hey you better you better back off Cordelione. uh yes. don't don't think about trying to deny her holy communion or or doing anything like that because she's a-okay with me so you better get with the program
1: yes well, moving on to our next story. We actually stay uh, again in, in Rome, and uh, there was a speech given earlier this month for the opening of uh, the Pontifical University St. Anselm. And often at the beginning of a, of a academic year for a university, there's a keynote address or a guest who comes to speak. So this year, the uh, speech that was given was by Archbishop Roche, uh, whom we've reported on before. He is an English bishop. Uh, who has been appointed, who was appointed last spring uh, as the head of the Congregation for Divine Worship, replacing, replacing Cardinal Sarah. And we connoted at the time, which I think this is very true, this was part of a plan uh, that involved traditionis Custodis. But as we know in that traditionis Custodis, two important legal changes happened. The Ecclesia Dei Institutes were transferred under the uh, Uh, Congregation for uh, Religious and for Institutes of Consecrated Life, and all matters relating to the the traditional liturgy were transferred under the CDW, taken away from the remnants, the shattered remnants of the Ecclesia Dei Commission that were absorbed in the CDF. And so this appointment doesn't seem to be coincidental. I think it was part of this three-pronged attack on the traditional Mass. Well, this speech by uh, Archbishop Roche Uh, probably soon to be cardinal, given his his position, uh, really, really confirms it. So what does he do? Uh, He addresses these students and he says that they need to be prepared and balanced, Uh, not like the people who are advancing ideology. So one of Francis's favorite words, he warns them about ideology, which is code for traditionalists. That's Francis's clear code. Uh, And then he uh, basically goes on to say you cannot get involved in advocating things and going on these ecclesial ideologies no matter how loudly they are being uh, shouted, right, or they're being made. So again, it's this sort of, he creates his image of these loudmouth traditionalists against these reasonable people like myself. Right? <laughs> That's what he tries to do. But when you read his text of his lecture, he's nothing but reasonable. He's reasonable. He's outrageous. Uh, he's really, really, uh, it's just un- unbelievable. So what, is, what did he do? First of all, he quotes Pope Francis. The liturgical revolution, he doesn't call it revolution, he calls it reform, is irreversible. Yes. So remember, Archbishop Vigano has said the, um, the, the old new mass must just be oh, gone away. We have to forget Vatican II, get right. rid of it. We must go back. And he's basically saying, Archbishop Vigano, it is here to stay. Uh, then he goes on, and this most bizarre part of the speech, he talks about, he he's one of these translators that spend their time, you know, fiddling with the translations, for he's been doing that for 20 years, and he just loved it, and he goes on about how wonderful it is, and all the wonderful things he's learned from it, and this is the most, one of the most outrageous quotes. He says, it, his work doing the translating, unlocked for me the vast treasures contained in the prayers and texts of the Roman Rite which are deeply saturated with the theological traditions of our faith, and which have been handed on to us with such great care by the church in the Latin language, and which are now available in the vernacular. I mean, this is laughable. I can't believe this person could say it with a straight face. The new mass prayers are not what has been handed on to us. They are not ancient treasures. The new mass prayers were written. They were what... Pope Benedict called a banal, on-the-spot product. Uh, I think it was Father Trinchard who pointed out that 70% of the prayers of the traditional Mass are gone, are replaced or suppressed. So how did you hand on faithfully these rich prayers if 70% of them were deleted? Right. right you, that's not handed on. Right. That's, that is absurd. And these prayers, if you read them, if you had the misfortune to have been raised in the Nova order like I was and Matt was, you've listened to these prayers. They are not rich treasures. They are banal, on-the-spot products. They are just tr- trite ditties. Right? And then finally, this laughable suggestion that all they did was translate the, pra- the, the prayers from Latin. These are not translations of the traditional Latin Mass. They are not. That's the other you know, assertion Pope Francis tried to make in his letter to the bishops. Oh, for those who want the Roman, the old Roman Rite, they can find everything in the new Mass that was there. Well, no, 70% of it is gone. You cannot find it there. So this is really just, I mean, an absurd, absurd uh, statement. And then he goes on, the typical canard of the liberals. Oh, we have to be so grateful. Vatican II brought more scripture into the Mass. No, it didn't. Right? It did not. Let's start with Psalm 42. Gone. Psalm 25. Gone. The last gospel. Gone. It eliminated scripture. Versicles throughout the Mass, almost every prayer that was eliminated are either paraphrases or actually direct quotes from scripture. They're gone. So it did not add more scripture. It deleted the ember days, which had five readings, up too long, gone. Right. So this is just one of these fake things. As uh, one of the speakers, uh, Stephen Wallier, at our conference in 2019 showed, they didn't add more scripture. What they did was they adopted a Protestant lectionary. He documented in his lecture to our conference That the Concilium went to the Protestant ministers, and they were all working on their own project, the Protestants, to have a common lectionary for their services, to use the same readings. That is the lectionary of the new mass. He showed that that is what they did. They adopted the Protestant lectionary. So it wasn't more scripture. It was to be more Protestant.
0: Right.
1: Well, then... And then lastly,
0: all right, I mean, I don't want to steal your thunder if you're going to talk about this... uh, Richest so the, quote. There
1: it is, yes, the most laughable <laughs> quote. I, I mean, I cannot even say it with a straight face. He says, the New Mass quote is the richest missile the church has ever produced. <laughs> I mean, this guy, um, I mean, the only thing you can describe the New Mass as is lacking. It lacks the prayers at the foot of the altar. It lacks the last gospel. It lacks an offertory. It lacks genuflections. It lacks signs of the cross. I mean, it doesn't, it is not the richest missile. And actually, here's my other prediction. I hope he ticked off the Eastern churches, just like Pope Francis did to the Jewish rabbis who complained. Because, look at this, I mean, how insulting this is. So the the liturgy of St. Basil that has been around since the time of St. Basil the Great, these rich, ancient Eastern Rite liturgies, he just said... Ah, this thing Paul VI wrote with Hannibal Bagnini in 1970 is much richer than your men. So I hope they send a letter and they're, that they're ecumenically outraged that he would make <laughs> such a statement and denigrate their liturgies. Go for it. I hope they do it.
0: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> but we're gonna, I have a write-up with some more detail on this really incredibly insulting and just ridiculous speech. But it, it, again, if people are still in denial about what's going on, this, this is the Pope's right-hand man when it comes to liturgy. If you think he's going to be promoting the traditional mass, read this speech every page of it it's very clear he's out to destroy the traditional mass
0: absolutely and and just to connect this back to traditionis custodis article 7 of that document states quote the congregation for divine worship and the discipline of the sacraments of which uh, archbishop roche is the prefect uh, and the congregation for institutes of consecrated life and societies of apostolic life for matters of their competence exercise the authority of the Holy See with respect to the observance of these provisions, meaning the provisions of Traditionis Custodis. So this man has now been given the authority of the Holy See to implement Traditionis Custodis. And obviously he's no fan of tradition. Uh, One other quick story before we uh, get into our final good news segment. Um, the, the Franciscan Friar of the Immaculate formed, you know, he was a member of that order, Father Maximilian Mary Dean, who granted a lengthy interview to LifeSite News, which uh, originally aired on October 4th. Uh, he has spoken out again, and our friend, Dr. Micah Hickson at LifeSite has uh, published a report on that, uh, came out this week, Monday. So Micah says, Father Maximilian Mary Dean, The former Franciscan Friar of the Immaculate, who is now the chaplain to the traditional Carmelite nuns in Fairfield, Pennsylvania, has spoken up once uh, spoke as once more spoken up. Excuse me. After his initial interview with LifeSite's Jim Hale published last week, there were many comments on what he said about the general intention of Rome, namely to destroy the traditional contemplative monasteries in the world. Uh, about and about specific claims he made, especially his warning that the apostolic visitation to the Fairfield nuns was aimed at destroying their original charism. Um, but Father Maximilian now reaffirms his statements, and he, at the end of the article, a full statement is published. I don't think we have time to go over the whole thing, but I'll just give a couple of highlights. Um, first of all, Father says... Um, what does he say regarding the prefect for the um, co- congregation for uh, consecrated life cardinal Braz de Aviz and archbishop carballo who have been in charge of the congregation for many years as well as pope francis have all been very open about their mission to modernize traditional religious communities they want quote new wine in new wineskins that was the whole theme of the year of consecrated life Few years ago. And they despise the, Tr- the Tridentine mass. That's what Father Maximilian says. This was obvious in their treatment of the poor Clares of perpetual adoration, the Franciscans of the Immaculate and Familia Christi of whom I spoke in the video. He goes on to say, regarding the recent apostolic uh, visitations in Philadelphia, the co visitators, so those sent by Rome, actually sent spies. They discussed the need to stop me from bringing the sacraments and to switch the nuns over to the Novus Ordo Mass. They discussed strategies for turning the benefactors away from these traditional communities. I am not permitted to write here what they actually did during the visitation itself, but let's just say that I was 100% correct in my assessment and that the nuns pulling from Philadelphia uh, was used as a pretext by the congregation to go after these traditional monasteries.
1: Again, that is uh, that is the kicker phrase. So he said, I can't tell you what went on, because he's bound by some, he had to swear some secrecy. But when he says, I was 100% correct, he tells us all we need to know. Yes. This was a hatchet job. They are there. I wouldn't be surprised if this gets destroyed, like he told us they destroyed the whole spirit of the Huntsville um uh adores what uh, the mother angelicas i like, can yeah, the franciscan's of the perpetual adoration so we can only hope
0: that these monastery the traditional monasteries hopefully they legally that they own their own property i don't know how all that works but hopefully they cannot just be completely dispossessed and disbanded. We'll see what happens.
1: But either they own it, or as the case of a, a, those that take vows of poverty, they have a lay board that they can trust that owns right, the right. property for their benefit. Hopefully.
0: Yeah, exactly. So hopefully that is the case and that it doesn't just get absorbed by the local diocese or whoever, uh, and they're left with, with nothing, literally.
1: So if anyone knows the Sisters in Fairfield, we're rooting for you, we're praying for you. Keep the faith. Don't let them destroy you. Uh, stand up to these people, I, you know I think unfortunately the Franciscans, the Immaculata should be a um, cautionary tale for us. don't do what they don't fold don't right. don't fall apart. Just say we are not leading. We are not budging one one bit further. Absolutely. so just keep the faith all right so as so we have promised, some good news yes, yes.
0: and on a positive note today we have some legal victories against covidian tyranny to report the first one involves a group of new york health workers and we're honored to say that our friend and colleague and regular contributor to cfn christopher ferrara was uh, inter- integrally involved in in obtaining this legal victory so i have a press release from the thomas More society which is uh, who Chris now works with as, a, as a, an attorney. It says on October 12th, 2021, United States District Judge David N. Hurd granted a preliminary injunction to 17 medical health professionals who hold religious objections to the COVID-19 jabs. Uh, the statewide injunction prevents New York from enforcing employers compli- uh, compliance with a quote, jab mandate issued on August 26, 2021. That mandate ex- excludes exemptions for religious reasons while allowing exemptions for medical reasons. Thomas More Society attorneys initially filed for federal court relief from this discrimination and constitutional violation on September 14th, 2021. So this involved um, so that the lead counsel on the case, uh, Thomas Moore Society Special Counsel Christopher Ferrara commented, quote, With this decision, the court rightly recognized that yesterday's frontline heroes in dealing with COVID cannot suddenly be treated as disease carrying villains and kicked to the curb by the command of a state health bureaucracy. Well said, Chris, and amen to that. Uh, it goes well,
1: on. So. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and elsewhere in the country, again, really good news for health workers in New York. That's great that you have have some more time. Uh, another result uh, that I'm calling flying the unfriendly skies. <laughs> so United Airlines, long before the, the uh, person in the Oval Office tried to force companies to do this, they came out with their own program mm-hmm. uh, that essentially said, take it in the arm, uh, or, if you want to apply for an exemption, fine, apply for a religious exemption, uh, but if you get a religious exemption, you are going on unpaid leave of absence, and you are losing all your benefits, your medical, your vacation, your flying privileges, and your salary uh, forever uh, until you come back. So they essentially said you're fired, but not fired, right? right? I mean, they obviously see through that. And I am directly aware of this because I've been working with some United employees who have been uh, caught in this trap. So, uh, a group of pilots and, uh, flight attendants got together and sued the unfriendly skies. And, uh, they got together and they were, the judge was about to order them that they're not allowed to put these people on unpaid leave, i.e. fire them in everything but name only. Right. Uh, but they said, oh, please don't do that. We agree not to fi- not to fire them until the middle of October. Again, this is a sneaky company, Till the middle of October. So then he said, okay, fine, we're going to have a hearing, and at that hearing, I will decide whether to issue this injunction or not. So they met for the hearing this week, and they showed up, and he said, oh, we can't have the hearing. We move to dismiss the case altogether. And so then they'd have to delay the hearing, because they'd have to then brief that issue. So then the judge was really smart. He caught them and said... Okay, well, since your stipulation, you're agreed you're not going to do that, ends on October 15th, I issue a temporary restraining order until the end of October. You can't put anybody on unpaid leave. So any of you pilots, flight attendants, or other employees of the uh, dictatorial skies... Uh, you are able to stay working, stay in your job if you have been granted a religious exemption. In this blatant, unconstitutional violation of civil rights by saying, if you exercise your free religion, if you stand up for your religion, you get punished. That's essentially what they did. And a you know, wonderful, again, not final outcome. There's still going to be a hearing before the end of the month on the making that temporary restraining order permanent. But I read that he slammed United Airlines and their little trick to say, oh, we promise not till mid October, and then get out of it by delaying the hearing with a little legal move. Right. Uh, so again, I, I am definitely aware of at least I know personally two people who were threatened to lose their job because they were going to stand up for their religious beliefs and not compromise them. And again, that's what's at stake now. That's what the companies want. They want us. They want to see how many people will offer incense to the false gods with the under their threats. And uh, it's good to see that at least some courts have not become so corrupt that they are standing up and and doing the right thing in these these two instances. Yes. And I know everybody's talking about the other story. I'm not sure about what happened with Southwest last weekend, but I've talked to people in airports mm-hmm. and they were told by Southwest employees that what was going on is that pilots were calling in sick because they were so upset about the mandate that Southwest tried to try to right. implement last week. Now again, I think they were being very careful if you followed this story because they didn't want to be seen as engaging in an illegal work stoppage because the, to go on strike, there has to be certain things that happen. So it was not an official strike, and I think that's why they're saying it wasn't. But essentially what happened is they, uh, as I understand it under FAA rules, if a pilot feels that they have anxiety and they're not in an emotional state to fly, for the safety of everyone, they have to say, I'm calling in sick. And I think a bunch of pilots said, this mandate thing is making me feel pretty anxious uh, about having to get this or lose my job. I can't right. work, and they got the message. Uh, the next day, the president of Southwest was out saying, "I didn't mean it. Biden made me do it. I didn't want to do it, and we're not going to fire anybody. Don't worry." Uh, so again, well, that shows
0: I, you what happens with the, you know when, just like yes. with Monica Smith in Australia, when when people stand up and stand together, um, things happen
1: things happen remember we are more than they are and I think yeah. what they're showing was you can't run an airline without pilots again if right. they were really intending this you can't run an airline without pilots so fine just use your tyranny and fire us all have a good luck you know getting your planes off the ground exactly. uh, so pilots have a lot of leverage right because you can't just go hire anybody on the street to be a pilot same thing with healthcare workers keep fighting you have leverage they can't just create a doctor or a nurse it takes years and right. so if you, if they don't have them, they're not going to be able to run their hospitals. So remember, they need they need you more than you need them. So right. keep up the good keep up the good work, everyone.
0: And just on a closing note, I wanted to mention that anyone who is in need of of legal help, legal advice, the Thomas More Society website actually has a webpage devoted to the V word, legal help, uh, and and there's a button for it on the homepage. Mm-hmm. So if you just visit thomas moore society all one word dot org and you'll see it on the home page the button to click on there to uh for the the v word mandate legal help so it's a very helpful yes. resource
1: yes so some uplifting stories remember we can make a difference and thank you to all of our loyal viewers thank you to those who watched our live stream uh alberto ampalo i know you're a long time viewer I've, I've uh welcome i'm glad to see you here it's nice to see you i couldn't show all the comments but again thank you for the comments it was uh, good to see you reacting to our stories uh, and if you enjoyed this please share it with your friends when the video is now recorded share it around get people to watch it if you know somebody who works for an airline send it to them um and Uh, Please help us spread the word of uh, Catholic truth from a traditional perspective. Uh, And if you enjoy all of our free content, our major source of, of income to support the Apostolate comes from subscriptions to the monthly newspaper. We're busy getting the November paper ready right as we speak. Uh, and by buying a paper, you not only get more content, more to read, more great stories. You also support free podcasts like the one you're listening to or watching right now. So yes. please consider. Look on our website. You can either call an 800 number to subscribe with a credit card or purchase an online e-subscription. Uh, so please uh, consider supporting our apostolate.
0: Yes. So as we always do, we will close our program, invoking our Lady, asking her to intercede for us, for our families and for all of our endeavors. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.
1: Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Eternal Father, I offer you the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, and all the instruments of his holy passion. Thou may put division in the camp of thy enemies, for as thy beloved Son has set, a kingdom divided against itself, shall fall. Saint Calixtus.
0: Pray for us. Saint Bridget. Pray for us.
1: Our Lady of Fatima.
0: Pray for us.
1: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again for joining us. We'll be back uh, same time, God willing, next week, uh, live to uh, broadcast to you again and bring you some more stories.
0: Yes. Until then, God bless you and Godspeed. Uh...